0: Enough with the whiteness. I don't know about you, but as a white guy, I'm getting pretty tired of hearing about my whiteness, mainly because I really don't know what that is. I do know that if you put the four letters N-E-S-S on the end of a word, it means that you are making a gigantic generalization, I think, which I thought was not allowed. But apparently um, those rules don't apply to white people when you're referring to white people, I guess. Anyway, we've seen all the stories about critical race theory, and how it's uh, spreading to schools all over the country. And that's all about making white kids aware of their whiteness and all the things that they should apologize for being white. Now, this might have made some sense 60 years ago at the height of the Civil Rights Movement, but the Civil Rights Movement worked. It didn't eradicate racism, but uh, here's a clue for you. Nothing will ever eradicate racism. Uh, but but one of the biggest problems with race relations has always been stereotyping, nessing you might say, and the assessing. And it took a long time to get white people to stop doing it with black people. All black people aren't alike. Neither are white people. But you don't see any SS on the end of the word black very often. Try it publicly sometime. There's a good chance you'll lose your job. But it turns out using the word whiteness is not a new thing. Whiteness and white privilege and those concepts were were concepts that were introduced a long time ago by people who don't like capitalism, as it turns out. And before there was critical race theory, there was just uh, critical theory. And critical theory is all about trying to eradicate capitalism. It's a Marxist uh, idea, a Marxist notion with Marxist origins. So uh, how do you feel about your kids Learning about that in school and being told that their whiteness has to be overcome for the common good. When we come back, I'm going to talk to someone who explain. We will explain all this to you. When we're finished, there's a good chance you'll want your kids or grandkids taken out of public school as quickly as possible. Not that you shouldn't already. Stick around.
1: Provide that micro support you need for all-day comfort and help prevent fatigue. Not only that, my slippers are made with high-quality leather and a premium indoor/outdoor sole that make them extremely durable. I personally guarantee they're going to be the most comfortable slippers you will ever own.
0: This is John Sygertwald. Visit MyPillow.com for deep discounts on all My Pillow products, including the new My Slippers. Click the Radio Listener Square and enter promo code STAG, or call 800-716-8087. Remember, use that promo code.
2: Connecting you with new customers.
1: I have two dogs, Sam and Bailey. Both are golden retrievers. Poor Sam, he was a mess. Always itching. His paws were soaking wet all day from just constant licking. He had bald spots on his back. I just don't like putting shocks and steroids into your dog all the time.
3: D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot
1: com. Dynovite is nutrition. Probably two weeks after he started Dynovite, I started seeing
4: Have you heard? Rodents are taking over. According to various news articles, recent COVID 19 related disruptions have caused abnormal behavior in rodents, making them become more aggressive. Don't let your home or business be invaded with a disease carrying rodent infestation. Keep them away with Plug In Pest Free. G'day, I'm Scott from Plug In Pest Free. P-E-N, go, Pestfree.com. promo code PEN. Don't spray and regret, plug in and forget. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer.
0: Well, if you're like me, you're getting a little tired of having to explain or apologize for your whiteness. Uh, Jonathan Butcher, a fellow in education at the Heritage Foundation, has some history for us on where this focus on whiteness and white privilege has come from. Uh, and he joins us now. Jonathan, thanks for being here. Great to be with you. So, th- this uh this focus on whiteness um is um is not a new thing, right? This well, no, the ideas an... go back. Yeah.
6: I'm I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: <laughs> no, go ahead. I I, I, did, I that was my question, I guess. It's I was throwing it out there at you. It's just not a new thing. It's kind of surprising to me.
6: Well, the ideas go back for more than 100 years, but I think the most recent version of it is just a couple of decades old. And it was evolved out of this concept that America is systemically oppressive based on our laws. But that forgets that over the last 50 years, we've had the Civil Rights Act, which allowed us now to say in the same breath, unequivocally, that slavery in the Jim Crow era were terrible, disgusting um, marks on American history, but we are now ready um, as Americans to fulfill the promise that we have—that everyone has the chance to achieve and uh, has opportunities in our society today.
0: And and uh, you mentioned the who are these people who um, who originated this? So
6: it came out of law schools in the 1970s, and then emerged into uh, colleges of education <laughs> into something called critical race theory or critical pedagogy, even. Um, they all have critical attached to the name. It's either critical legal studies or it's critical race theory or critical pedagogy, but it's all the same idea, right, that the world is divided between oppressors and the oppressed and that uh, American institution, America as a nation, is systemically racist, which again ignores all of the sacrifices and efforts that were made from uh, those that that worked in the civil rights movement, right? That protested, that and that have today are um, uh, trying to work to um, uh, give people opportunities regardless of the color of their skin. We hope that we had left this behind us, um, but it's, yeah. it is renewing this idea now and uh, again, treating people differently based on the color of their skin.
0: Yeah, we were supposed to be beyond that, um, and uh, as you write, the media, you don't, you don't hear um, – well, you hear it from conservative media, I guess. I mean, if you tune into Fox or if you read the right publications or if you go to the uh, Heritage Foundation at heritage.org, uh, just as you are explaining it in your piece today, uh, you see plenty of references to the fact that uh, critical race theory has, Marxist, uh, has a Marxist foundation. But generally in the media, it's just not mentioned. I don't think the average person would, would have the first clue that this is, has anything to do with Marxism.
6: Well, I think for those who the sting of Marxism has faded away, remember that what Marxists believed was that there should be a revolution from uh, the lower classes to overthrow the upper class and take control, and then everyone would ostensibly have the same thing. Which, as we saw through the Soviet Union, through uh, the socialist revolutions, um, and the rise of the Nazi Party in Germany, to uh, communist China today, right? The only thing that they can share equitably is misery. Um, and so that, that is something that we have to have in our minds here, that when you're talking about Marxism, you're talking about socialism, and you're talking about the equal distribution of misery across everyone, no matter the color of your skin or um, uh, what, uh, what your background is. And that is the sad fact that uh, is what critical race theory is based on.
0: Uh, who is uh, Max Horkheimer?
6: So Max Horkheimer was one of the original founders of what's known as the Frankfurt School, and this was a research institution in Germany in the 1920s that moved to Columbia University in America in the 1930s. Uh, Horkheimer was um, the first to use the term critical theory uh, in an essay that he wrote in, 19, in 1937, I believe. Um, he was the director of the Frankfurt School. He helped to unite these two ideas right, of Marxism the world is divided between oppressors and the oppressed. And then this very hazy notion of postmodernism, where there really are no facts that we can build a life on, right? There is no authentic truth. We have to constantly respond to the things as they happen around us. And when you put these two things together, you wind up, uh, as uh, one historian described it, a gadfly, of any other philosophy or worldview, right? So any other ideas, whether it's representative government, whether it's constitution, uh, whether it's the constitution or the rule of law, uh, critical theory aims to destroy all of them, right? To take apart all of these ideas.
0: Well, what is the, what is, uh, uh, I should say, what was because this goes back. Uh, you point out in your piece, uh, he he uh, wrote an essay back in 1937 about called traditional. And critical theory, uh, I think most people think that you know they've been hearing about critical race theory a lot. If you've been following uh, politics uh, in the last year or so, maybe yeah, about it last year or so. Um, you know, you've heard it a lot, but this is 1937, and that's uh, that's 85 years ago. Um, and and, and th- th- this was and it was called critical theory. So this is definitely not something new.
6: Most certainly, and critical race theorists in more recent generations, like the late Derrick Bell or Angela Harris, uh, who's still a law professor, they ha- they say in their writings that they admire Marx's ideas. They say that really uh, everyone in this field of critical studies—they're all critical thinkers, whether it's critical race theorists, critical legal theorists, uh, what have you. I mean, it's spread to the areas of—it's uh, used in in the military, it's it's in the workplace, it's in. Um, issues of gender studies. Um, so, you know, this is, all of it, though, has this critical notion of searching for oppression and uh, describing the world as a place where victimization is a currency that you can use to um, get uh, added social or cultural or even legal benefits uh, if you can claim certain levels of, of victimhood.
0: Yeah, and uh, you, you write here that the um, from a start, uh, critical theorists have been clear that helping the individual thrive is not the theory's goal. Um, that's kind of an American thing uh, to, to uh, focus on the individual and individual liberty and individual responsibility, and this is the exact opposite of that.
6: Well, it takes us backwards to what what, what it was it was like before the civil rights movement and before civil rights law. We're we're now being sent back to a place where once again skin color or a nation of origin or religion are the tribes that Americans are divided into and we all compete for power and influence over government and culture. And that's a very sad place to be, right? I mean, that's not e pluribus unum, right? That's not right. what we should be moving towards, right? That's not the promise that america has for everyone
0: and um you write that it's uh that the the critical race theory that the aims of critical theory and that would include critical race theory are much higher they they, they seek to eliminate the structures and quote rules of conduct of society what's the purpose i mean what's the good in that
6: and and that comes from, uh, I mean, uh, originates really in, in what Horkheimer wrote. I mean, Horkheimer was very intent that the Frankfurt School would take the Marxist economic theory and apply it to culture, apply it to neighborhoods, families, communities, right? So it would be something that would permeate all of society. And and really, at, at its very root here, um, and the piece that Mike Gonzalez and I wrote just recently for, for Law and Liberty explains this, that when you get right down to it, it is still ultimately an attack on the capitalist system and the free market system it is ultimately an attack on the way of life that that we are um uh are trying to provide opportunities for everyone no matter what their background is right so small businesses uh, entrepreneurship right jobs of uh, you know across every sector that is what critical race theory critical legal theory critical theory itself that is what they're after
0: yeah and um uh we're talking to Jonathan Butcher he's a, a fellow in education at the at the Heritage Foundation uh, and you can find this piece also at uh, lawliberty.org that's where uh he's one of the co authors of this uh, piece about the connection between whiteness white privilege uh and marxism uh and this guy Horkheimer he said uh he said well he says that Marx didn't see at all that freedom and justice are dialectical concepts the more freedom the less justice and the more justice the less freedom what 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 are we supposed to make out of that if if this is being taught to kids in school i mean it may not be taught in those words specifically but that's kind of the the uh, the underlying philosophy here
6: well and some of the materials does teach that or very close to it i mean there's work uh, being created by the uh, a group called uh, Learning for Justice, which is an arm of the Southern Poverty Law Center that says that, you know, white supremacy is still systemic in the United States. And so uh, those who are white, uh, then the implication is must apologize for their background and are somehow guiltier than others or should be treated differently. Um, I think there are critical race theorists today who still link uh, capitalism, with this idea of white supremacy, and um, you know, this is this is very dangerous because um, you know we are uh, we need to be telling students that the American dream belongs to them. It belongs to all of us, no matter where you come from, no matter your background, the color of your skin. Right? Um, this dream should be something that students should be allowed to should be encouraged to pursue. Right? This is what we should all be sharing. And um like I was saying before, this concept divides us into tribes and says that it's really just a power struggle it's a it's a a, a exercise in resistance to um, uh, whatever systems are out there now
0: but uh, uh, I, I guess when when you hear about uh, communism and the and the the revolution uh you know in nineteen seventeen and and even uh, in the places like cuba it's it's been about um it's it's been about uh, class, you know. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a fight between classes, the, the proletariat and the the bourgeois and, and all that stuff. Did I have the critical race theorists just just punched race into the formula and and just used that? Because it it is it the same thing. as just substituting race for for class. Well,
6: that's right, because each of these ideas, from the Frankfurt School to critical legal theorists to critical race theorists, they each build on each other. So with critical theory, right, the Frankfurt School that we were describing before, you have the Marxist idea of um, class divisions. With critical legal theory, they added to that idea that because uh, America does have different classes, that the nation and our law, our rule of law, is systemically racist or systemically oppressive. Critical race Mm -hmm. theorists added on top of that, that everything should be seen through the lens of race, so we are not just systemically oppressive, but systemically racist. And then, critical pedagogs, pedagogic um, uh, pedagogues added on to that that this should be taught in schools, right? And that schools are systemically racist too. They're part of the the systemic um, institutions. And again, the response to this must be in the same breath that we condemn slavery, we condemn the Jim Crow laws. There are no, there's no place for that uh, in the American creed. It simply cannot exist at the same time that the ideas of liberty and equality under the law. Uh, are a part of uh, of our culture and of our history and of our creed. And we need to be able to say that we've moved beyond that, and that anyone who says differently um, should be criticized, right? We should be condemning um, anyone who is still insisting that, that race or immutable characteristics should be used to judge people.
0: Um, and and uh, critical race theory and critical theory are different things, and you point out that uh, critical race theory, again, this is being... Um, blatantly uh, taught and, and pushed on kids in schools, uh, critical race theory. It's, uh, you write that it departs from uh, critical theory and holds the view that there is no human race per se. There are just white oppressors and non-white oppressed. That seems like a little bit of an, uh, an oversimplification to me. <laughs>
6: Well, most certainly. And in some places, students are asked to create land acknowledgement posters where they say that the land on which they live or go to school doesn't belong to them, or it's simply occupied land that belonged to someone else. And look, this doesn't minimize what happened uh, to Native Americans in the United States, but we have to be real about what's going to, what this next generation is going to grow up to believe, right? Are they going to grow up to believe that they can make America the place uh, that we all want it to be, where we are equal under the law, where we have the opportunities not only to make a, a life, and a career for ourselves, but to help others and give back to the community. That's not what this is teaching. What this is teaching is that you're guilty, and so there is some sort of penance out there that must be paid uh, before you know you can establish the life that you want.
0: And th- this is this is um, uh, this this is a quote from I guess this is uh, Angela Harris. I don't know it. Just, maybe you can just explain this to me. Uh, try. try. That the, this is a quote that the human slash subhuman binary continues to inhabit so much of Western experience raises the question of the continuing relevance of anthropocentric, I guess that's the word, the, uh, uh, concepts such as human rights and human dignity for effective theories of justice, policy, and social movements. Um, the, the, the concept of human they don't like. Is that what I'm getting out of that?
6: Yes, I think that's what The
0: concept
6: of humanity. Yeah, pulled apart from that rather confusing... uh, that confusing terms... uh, that confusing writing. I mean, I think that kind of jargon is used all the time throughout critical theory and critical race theory. I think that they develop words like microaggressions, right, which has its roots in in, in critical race theory, right? I mean, this idea that somehow there are... um, uh, you, you can take offense at very small things and add them all together and be perpetually um, uh, offended by everything that happens around you. I mean, this is, you know, it's its teaching students, right, to be pin cushions uh, all the time where everything is, is out to get them.
0: And uh, I have about a minute and a half left here. We're talking to Jonathan Butcher. He's a fellow education uh, at the uh, Heritage Foundation. Um, so where, I mean, uh, how many how many uh, it's one thing to to have kids go to school and innocently sit there and have their teachers pour this drivel over the tops of their heads but what about uh parents how many parents do you think are actually aware that this is going on and, and know that know the history of this
6: well why do think that many few. people know it yeah, likely very few. I, I think that uh, oftentimes parents don't know what's going on in their child's classroom, so they bring it home in their backpack, and uh, and that's a problem. I, I think um, uh, there are state lawmakers out there today who are considering proposals that would require schools to post the curriculum and uh, the syllabi to the different courses on their website so that parents can see what their children are being taught. And, um, and that's important because parents need to know what um, their children are seeing so that they can talk to the teachers about it, talk to the principal, go to the school board if they need to.
0: Uh, i got to take a break, uh, Jonathan. I, I really appreciate you coming on. People should check it out at lawliberty.org. It's pretty scary stuff. I mean, this is a term that we hear thrown around a lot these days, uh, critical race theory. And very few people really understand the history of it and the scope of it and, uh, and the danger of it. But I appreciate you pointing that, all that stuff out to us. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Okay, that's Jonathan Butcher. We'll be right back.
1: With SRN News, I'm
0: John Scott. Former President Trump will not be returning to Facebook for a while. The Social Network's Oversight Board voting to uphold his ban from the platform after his account was suspended four months ago. Meanwhile, Texas Senator Ted Cruz describes the former president as being in great spirits after paying a visit to Mr. Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort. Senator Cruz tweeted a photo of himself alongside Mr. Trump, along with the words, He's in great spirits. We spent the evening talking about working together to retake the House and Senate in 2022. Cruz is one of the only two GOP senators who oppose certification of the 2020 election results, citing evidence that election fraud may have given the edge to
7: Joe Biden in some districts. He's also one of a handful of GOP hopefuls likely to seek the party's presidential nomination in 2024. Bob Agnew reporting. And on Wall Street, the Dow had 183 points and the NASDAQ is up 21. This is SRN
5: News. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388.
7: Enjoy. Jay Sekulow sees a huge mistake being made. Ten years since UBL killed, Iran shelters AQ leaders. Let that sink in. She is calling for, or the Biden administration is calling for, reopen negotiations with the Iranian regime, which includes, well, let me tell you something, if you're dealing with the Iranian regime, you're dealing with the Revolutionary Guard. The the, the, the ridiculousness of what they're proposing. Sekulow, live, weeknights at 6, right before Larry Alder at 7. At A on 1250, the answer. This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy & Hagerman. Writing an estate plan is one thing. Having the experience to administer the estate is something else. At Abernathy and Hegerman, a state administration isn't a side job, it's what we do. You have the same goals we all do to protect your assets, to minimize taxes, and ensure your inheritance gets to the ones that you love. How you get there, that's specific to you. So let's talk. Hegerman Law. Legal help that lasts a lifetime. Visit a-h.law.
1: It seems like just
6: yesterday when I captured my son's first steps or when we recorded his soccer games on VHS tapes. Those moments are gone. But the old home movies and pictures don't need to be. That's why my son created Legacy Box.
3: That's right, Mom. Over 800,000 families have used Legacy Box to digitally preserve their home movies and photos.
6: Simply fill Legacy Box with your old camcorder tapes, film, and photos. They will professionally digitize Digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud.
3: With family staying close and Mother's Day around the corner, it's the perfect time to get your Legacy Box and save your family's history. After all, few things are as important as protecting your precious memories. Give your mom a Mother's Day present she'll never forget.
6: Plus, Legacy Box is offering a 50% discount.
3: Order your Legacy Box today. Visit LegacyBox.com slash LBOX and for a limited time, get an incredible 50% off your order. This is one of the best discounts we've offered. That's Legacybox.com slash Lbox for 50% off. Legacybox.com slash Lbox. AM twelve
7: fifty and FM ninety two point five. The answer. WPGP Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart or radio.com. Stuck in traffic, we've got the answer.
2: Really tied up now on outbound 28. It's an accident approaching the Highland Park Bridge. Delays start around Butler Street. Looks like at least a 10-minute or so delay. Inbound slowing to the Highland Park Bridge as well. On the outbound Parkway East, you see delays approaching the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. About a five-minute delay there. Also slowing to the Fort Pitt Bridge on the inbound side. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson.
7: AM 1250. The answer. Weather. Tonight we'll see patchy clouds with a low of 39. Some sunshine tomorrow, then turning cloudy and warmer. Expect a high of 60. Considerable clouds tomorrow night with occasional rain and drizzle late, the low 42. Friday will be cool with clouds and breaks of sunshine. We'll see brief morning showers followed by a couple of thunder showers in the afternoon. Thunderstorms can produce small hail. We'll see a high of 54. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. You're listening to the John Staggerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer.
0: His Excellency Tom Wolf still has a year and a half left before he's a term limited out of office, but in November of 2022, there will be a new governor elected. And you would think that after what we've seen for the last 14 months or so, uh, there will be a lot of a lot more interest in that election than there has been in a governor a race for governor in a long time. And as of right now, the guy who's leading all Republicans in the polls is former Congressman Lou Barletta, and he joins us now. Lou, thanks for being here.
1: Uh, Good to talk to you again, John.
0: So I think, uh, I'm not sure about this, but you might have been the first guest I had on my show when this went on the air almost three years ago.
1: I'm pretty sure you were. Yeah, I I think so.
0: One of the great moments in your career, I'm sure. I don't know how you could have (laughs) forgotten that, but,
4: uh, (laughs) you know, like a watershed moment for you.
0: (laughs) So anyway, um, I would think that there are a lot of people in Pennsylvania who, uh, as I said, can't wait to get a new governor. You are leading in the polls, from what I understand, among Republicans. Uh, Have you actually made the decision to run yet? Are you official?
1: I have. I, no, I'm not official, John. I'm still uh, still making a decision, and I, I believe uh, you know we'll have that decision in about about two weeks. I plan to to, uh, to formally announce what I'm going to do.
0: So, what goes into a person deciding whether or not they want to run for governor of a state? I mean, you've been in politics, so that's not new to you. But um, you know, what, uh, you're you're obviously thinking about it. What's going to put you over the top, one way or the other?
1: Well, you know, the first thing that, that happened for me, uh, John, was that, you know, people were calling me and asking me to get involved. They didn't like the direction that Pennsylvania was headed, and they wanted yeah. me to uh, to get involved again. And I began, you know, looking at it seriously. And to be honest with you, I'm very concerned about the direction of uh, of the Commonwealth. Uh, you know, after we saw, you know, Governor Wolf close down businesses, deciding right. what business could stay open, who can close, then putting COVID positive seniors back into into the nursing homes. And now, you know, school closings, it, it's hard to watch what's happening to Pennsylvania. And, you know, we saw, you saw personally out here with US Steel, you know, pulling out of their $1.5 billion project because of uh, permitting problems here in Pennsylvania. Uh, I began to look at it more seriously uh, and we're talking to my family. Uh, I have four daughters, as you know, and, and my wife and it's you know it 's not easy running for running for office, especially statewide office, and you need your family to be on board so uh, we 're doing that and talking to friends and and advisors and uh, feeling and seeing how much support was out there and Then we saw the Susquehanna poll at, um, that that uh, had me uh, out in front of uh, some potential candidates, so uh, we 're looking very closely at it and, and i'll uh, i 'll come to that decision in a couple of weeks.
0: But it's a year and a half out, um, at least the election itself, but the campaign will start, obviously, pretty well before then. But Mm -hmm. uh, can you imagine anything other than the handling of the pandemic being the number one issue for whoever runs uh, for for either? uh, Because it's going to be it's not going to be Tom Wolf. He's he's uh, he's going to be term limited out. So two new candidates, uh, is that going to be could anything else be uh, the uh, number one issue besides that? I mean, I guess well, you know, you know, a the, year
1: and a half from now, but the the economy, you know, here in Pennsylvania, our future really relies on energy. You know, we are blessed with all this energy under our feet. And, and uh, you, you're seeing the, the Democrat party who's, who really took a far turn to the, to the left. Uh, and they're following here in Pennsylvania, but I don't think it matters who the Democrat nominee is that, you know, that they're following the, the, the pattern of, of the Washington Democrats and that's, a far left, which leaves energy out, leaves Pennsylvania out. And, and uh, we can't have that. Too many people depend on that. And, you know, we're also watching our freedoms right before us being taken away from us. And I don't think that's the role of government to take away your freedoms. I think the role of government is, is to, to try to help you have a better quality of life, not control your life. So, you know, I think there's going to be a, a good contrast between whoever the nominee is on the Republican side versus the Democrats.
0: And and what is your biggest problem with how Wolf has handled it? Uh, I mean, the uh, the nursing home thing is a big deal because people died, but sure. just in general, what what's your biggest problem?
1: This was, no, this was no better than 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 Cuomo than what Cuomo did in New York, and and you know when a governor when a when a governor can pick and choose what business can close. I was a small businessman, and and anybody who's who's run a small business knows how hard it is. You know, to make sure you're staying in business to pay your employees and and keep jobs. How do you pick and choose who can stay open? Where where does a governor get that kind of power to say that a big box store, you know, can stay open so you could pack thousands of people in there? But, you know, a store that's a mom and pop store, you can buy a bicycle in a big box store, but you can't buy a bicycle from a, a bicycle shop in town and literally put people out of business. Uh, Some of them will not recover and they can't make up, you know, he's, you know, proud to say that May 31st, we're going to, we're going to open up Pennsylvania again. It's a little too late. You know, people have been hurt already. Even the schools, the kids have lost a a year of their life in schools. And we don't know the damage that, that was done to those kids emotionally being left out of school. So I just think the whole thing was mishandled. Uh, and I just want to make sure if I did do this that, you know, we focus on jobs, middle class, making sure people are having a better quality of life, not trying to control their life.
0: Yeah, um, and um, what would you do differently, anything specifically? What would you have done, I guess? I know it's easy well, for I'll all of us to, I, to second guess. Sure.
1: No, I think, I'll i tell you what I wouldn't have done. I wouldn't have put senior citizens who had had covid Back in nursing homes when you knew that senior citizens were the most vulnerable of all of our people, I mean that was just common sense is if you if you were going to protect anyone let's let's make sure we protect our senior citizens, but to actually put them back in there is was throwing a match into a gas can and and people died because of it i mean that's that's a big issue and how that was handled, and also the schools i mean we're always told let's follow the science, but when the science said that it was okay for you know, the kids were not transmitters and kids uh, were not as vulnerable. We kept kids out of school. They lost They lost a year. Of their, not only their academics, but uh, their scholastic uh, uh, athletics and, and the damage that that did to, for kids. And I just don't like government deciding that picking and choosing who can open, who can close, and how much control they have of, of our life. So that would be one, one big thing that I would do. I would also... Uh, one thing I would tell you, I would take advantage of the of the energy that we have here in Pennsylvania and the jobs that it could create. It's a, it's a big deal, and it's a future for, for not only the people that are working, but for the next generation as well, the jobs that would be created. We, we want our kids to stay here in Pennsylvania. We don't want them to leave. We're losing a congressional seat because people have left Pennsylvania. Uh, we need to reverse that. This needs to be a place where, where people want to come.
0: Uh, we're talking to Lou Barletta. He's uh, he's not officially running for governor, but he's leading in the polls among uh, Republicans, and uh, he has not made a decision yet, uh, former congressman. Um, so uh, I asked you what you would have done differently had you been governor uh, last January. Um, is Based on what you've seen and what based on uh, the reaction to some of the things that this governor has done, are you able to measure the amount of anger that's out there? among voters is it is it palpable
1: oh it is no matter where i've been traveling all around the commonwealth and and it is very very much There's a lot of anger there of what's going to and and it's not only republicans it's democrats as well you know kids that have been you know locked up at home you know what are their parents The the problems that it created by the mismanagement of this this whole and and this won't be the last time that something like this happens. You know, now now that they know that they can close business and they have this much control over people, do you, do you think when government gets control like that, they're ever going to give it back to the people? And, and uh, you know, we need to make sure we change. the people want to change in direction of Pennsylvania, they're not happy. And I think my time as a... Uh, not only as a businessman, John, you know I had my own business, but being a mayor for eleven years and and mm-hmm. uh, you know that's a job where you're you're on the field, you're in the trenches, and you understand you know that there's never a ribbon cutting for a broken sewer line, but you're going to fix that sewer line, and you're going to find the money to fix it, and uh, you're dealing with all those issues, and, and they're quality of life issues. People want a better life for their kids, for their grandchildren, and um, I think when you understand that. You have a better uh, perspective on, on uh, a better viewpoint of of what you need to do in situations like this. So, I think my time as a mayor, my time as a businessman, and the time I served in Congress gives me a gives me all viewpoints to uh, to look at and, and how to govern.
0: And you uh, got a lot of attention as a uh, mayor of Hazleton, uh, Hazleton, PA, for your approach to illegal immigration. How, how did that become an issue? In a, in a city uh, in Pennsylvania, why was that an issue uh, that, that you had to deal with, illegal immigration?
1: Yeah, yeah, John, it was way back, long before anyone had the courage to say anything. You know, I was yeah. dealing with it. We were 2,000 miles away from the nearest southern border, not, not a town you would think would have an illegal immigration. No. Town. We're not a border town, but, but we saw our population in Hazleton grow by 50%, but our tax revenue stayed the same. And this was right after I had literally uh, dug hazelton out of out of poverty we we were basically bankrupt, and we were on our way back and All of a sudden we had this population boom but But our tax revenue stayed exactly the same that that 's pretty hard to do, and you can 't provide services when you have fifty percent more people and no, not, no more money to do with it. So we saw that there was an underground workforce uh, that and that 's how we realized we had a, an illegal immigration problem and Uh, When I asked for help, I asked for help at at the federal level. They literally uh, turned their back on me and I was faced with trying to deal with it myself. And uh, I spoke out, I was the first mayor in America to actually try to do anything about it. You know, when you do that, especially, can you imagine, you know, back in 2006, the names that I was called for doing it, oh, and yeah. look what's happened today. Look what's happened today. All the things I talked about, the human trafficking, the smuggling, uh, this underground workforce, uh, there's no health checks when people come into country illegally. You're, you're, you're putting people at risk. All the issues that I had to deal with as mayor, you know, they said that, you know, this was someone who just didn't accept immigrants, and it's like the most ridiculous uh, statement you can make this this is anti-immigrant when you allow people to to come in and and literally uh pull the rug out from underneath a, of other people who are trying to make a, a living here so um i thought maybe i spoke out before others did but it gave me a good uh, perspective on the issue and here we are 15 16 years later and the problem is much worse
0: yeah that's what i was going to ask you what um is it an issue still in pennsylvania though i mean we we don't hear about it here i, I remember hearing about it in hazelton um, but uh... how how are we doing right now here we are what thirteen years later fourteen years later well,
1: well you have to be concerned with what they're doing what they're not doing i should say in washington and the fact that you know all the all the problem we have at the border you know the people there are not staying at the border they're going throughout throughout the united states so uh, you know, states and cities and municipalities are going to continue to do that. You can't have a sanctuary city, John, because when you declare yourself a sanctuary city, you become a magnet. I mean, that's where would you go if you were in the country illegally? You know, you'd go to a place where, you know, they're actually going to protect, uh, protect you. And, 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 um, yep. you know, we know the problems that, that, that have happened with it. And, and, uh, so it, it has to be dealt with, uh, uh, really not only at the national level, but, also on the state level, we can't allow sanctuary cities. We have to enforce our laws, and, and we have to welcome immigrants and, and, and give them a chance. Give the give people who are here illegally, the immigrants that are here, give them a chance to, to get a job and, and to make it. As well as you know, when you have an illegal immigration problem, you're depressing the wages of of American workers as well. So the, you know, I, I think you know at the state level, there's a lot we can do. I don't like what's happening in Washington. But I do believe that we can uh, we can fix a lot of these things on a state level if you have strong leadership.
0: And uh, we're talking to Lou Barletta. He's a former mayor of Hazleton, a former U.S. congressman, and a possible candidate for governor uh, of Pennsylvania. i got to ask you before I let you go, i got about a minute and a half uh, or so left here. Lou, school choice, uh, with uh, critical race theory being shoved down people's throats, I just did a segment on that before you came on. Um, i mm-hmm. and West Virginia just passed a law where every every uh student gets uh, i think forty six hundred dollars the parents can use for however they want for their education. I hear a lot of talk by Republicans about school choice but that 's one thing that really bothers me i don 't see enough action how do you where do you stand yeah. on that and what are the chances of that happening well, in pennsylvania
1: i I have I have two daughters who are teachers, uh, elementary school teachers. Uh, my wife has a teaching degree. I was on the education and workforce committee in Congress. And the the greatest thing we can give uh our, our kids is an education. And if you really look at the problems, especially inner city problems, it's it's because they're not getting a good education. Many are trapped in in failing schools. How can we do that? To, you know, who who would want that to happen to their children to be actually trapped in a school that's failing? Where, where where that student uh, fails along with it. You know, we have to make sure that we give kids a good education. And if I was a parent, I'd want to make sure that my kid can go to a school that that, that is not failing. So uh, we really have to look at how we're educating our kids and, and make sure that, uh, you know, that if, if you're in a failing school, that, that should not be a death sentence for you uh, because of, just because of where you live or, or the school that you're in.
0: Hey, uh, Lou, I'm out of time, but um, I'm, I'm hoping we'll talk to you again. And if you make the decision in a couple of weeks, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again. Uh, maybe we'll see you along the, uh, the campaign trail. I appreciate you coming on. Okay.
1: okay, good talking to you.
0: Okay, that's Lou Barletta, and he may or may not be the next governor of Pennsylvania. He's got to make his decision in a couple of weeks. We'll be right back.
7: Every great team needs a great leader. As a successful local radio sales manager, you know you have what it takes to help others succeed. Salem Media Group has a place for you as the Pittsburgh team's next general sales manager. Here, you can put your talent and creativity to work as you lead a seasoned marketing team in a professional and family-like atmosphere. As you hit the streets with our local media strategists, you'll use your knowledge of radio, digital, and social media marketing to provide integrated client-based media marketing solutions that will help our customers succeed. Minimum two years experience as a local sales manager, director of sales, or sales manager with a proven track record of success is required. Must be proficient in Excel, Word, Outlook, and PowerPoint. See full details, responsibilities, and requirements when you apply now at salemmedia.com careers. That's salemmedia.com careers. Salem Media Group is an equal opportunity employer.
0: It's finally time to replace that old leaky roof, or how about some new siding? You can count on Windows or us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is just Joe- John Steigerwald, with over 50 years experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows and Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, windows, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew. Maybe you lost siding during the recent windstorms. Don't put those repairs off. Windows R Us offers 12 months, no interest financing, and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Want new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office? Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood, and composite. And how'd you like to never clean your gutters again? For a limited time, get a free gutter filter with the purchase of complete siding or roof replacement. That offers valid through 6-30-21. All All with 12 months, no interest, no processing fee, and backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at Pittsburgh.com. That's Pittsburgh.com. Swim
3: trunks and milk. Whether you're on vacation or getting groceries, if you don't make a list, chances are you'll forget something. The same is true in retirement. If you want to make sure you haven't overlooked anything, Roy and Jason Locks at the Synergy Group can help. They have a checklist to help you find out if you're on the right track for retirement. Take the checklist challenge. If you can check all the boxes on the list with confidence, you may be ready for retirement. If not, the Synergy Group can help you address any potential costly mistakes. For the complimentary checklist, visit synergygroupinc.com checklist. See if you've got it right. Take the checklist challenge today at synergygroupinc.com slash checklist. That's synergygroupinc.com slash checklist. Firm provides insurance services, securities offered through JW Coal Financial, member FINRA SIPC, investment advice offered through JW Coal Advisors. JW Coal Financial and JW Coal Advisors are not affiliated with the Synergy Group Inc. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal.
2: The following are real-life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income.
7: It was not a good situation. I couldn't paid my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're
2: in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976.
4: I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relief.
7: They contacted all of our creditors, and they put us on a plan for success.
2: Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to
4: $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're
2: We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. That's 1-800-990-6976.
7: This is the John Walt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer.
0: I can't remember what year it was uh, or what year it's supposed to be that uh, we're going to have all electric cars. Um, the big guy has said uh, maybe it's 2050. I don't know. He's thrown out a number. Nobody uh, believes it. But uh, they might have a little bit of a problem with it. There's a story here from a businessinsider.com. They point out that in three minutes you can fill the gas tank of a Ford Mustang and you can go 300 miles. Uh, that's on a, with a V8 engine. But the electric Mustang Mach E—you may have seen some ads for that. You plug that into your household outlet for an hour, you get three miles. So let's re- review: three minutes, three hundred miles; an hour, three miles. Uh, so what's happening? Well, uh, the people out in California who have been buying up the electric cars—not exactly at a feverish pace—but they're they're buying them. Uh, one out of five people who have gone for the electric car have gone back to gas because of the um, issue of plugging the, the the car into your household uh, outlet. And here's the thing, I guess, and I'm not, I don't have an electric car, so I'm not that familiar with it, but you can plug it into your uh, home outlet, and it gets about 120 volts of power, uh, and that's called level one charging, which is just plugging it in, but you can get uh, level two which offers 240. I guess you get a special charger, but uh, you still got to charge that one for a while, and, and it's, uh, y- you're not going to get the range that you want to get. So, um, the idea of an electric car sounds really good until you plug it in for uh, an hour and get three miles of uh, usage out of it. <laughs> I think they got some work to do on that. But uh, you know, I'm sure the big guy will get that all fixed for us between now and when he meanders out of office in three years. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye.
7: The John Steigerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.